0: way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Well, hi
1: folks. This is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is October the 5th, 2021. This is episode 2969, and this is a work in interview because when Dr. Ken Berry reaches out to me and says he wants to talk about something, um, I'm gonna do it. And he reached out to me about a week and a half ago, said he wanted to talk about a new series that he, he helped produce, a new, or was in, uh, his personality called Reversed, about reversing type 2 doc, uh, diabetes. It's a docuseries. Uh, it's a really cool docuseries. I watched like three quarters of it yesterday. It's on yourhealthnetwork.com is where it's been, been released. You can watch it for free. And your health network is spelled Y-U-R and then uh, healthnetwork.com, all one word. But don't worry about it because everything that you're going to hear about today, I promise you, like always, there is a link in the show notes. This was a great conversation. Um, I love to be able to communicate with people like Dr. Barry uh, on an intellectual level and on a real and truthful level. I'm going to tell you up front. Doctors in America are killing patients today, and not just with refusing to prescribe um, early treatment for COVID. There's a far worse pandemic in our world today than COVID, far worse. And it's not the stupidity of the walking zombies either. It's obesity. It's obesity and everything that comes with it, specifically type 2 diabetes being the biggest killer among them. But a lot of people, you know, the person died of cardiovascular disease. Well, if they had type 2 diabetes, I bet that has something to do with it. Um, obesity kills over 600,000 people a year in the United States, a year. Uh, and that's, you know, when it finally makes it to the death certificate as being the cause of death. And a lot of times a person might have a cause of death other than obesity, but it's probably complications due to obesity. It is, it is the number one killer in the country, and doctors enable it. And they don't do it because they're malicious. They don't do it because they're in on a conspiracy. You'll hear Ken and I talk about that today. Like your doctor doesn't directly benefit from the fact that you're fat. They do it because it's how they're trained. And they're trained by people to sell drugs to people who are fat and sick. And that's reality. And I know that's hard to accept, but when you hear some of the things that Ken and I speak about today, it will be hard to think any differently. And there is no proof like results. And if you know what I looked like three years ago and you know what I look like today, that's, that should be all the proof you need. And Ken was the same way. People look at Ken today and say, man, for a 52-year-old guy, he looks really good. If you would have saw him 10 years ago, you wouldn't have felt that way about him. He actually started walking down this path because he's telling his patients that they need to lose weight, and they were looking at him like, really? I need to lose weight? Yeah. He was pre-diabetic, et cetera. Um, I let that happen to myself, too, and it was by coming away from the proper human diet. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about reversing type 2 diabetes. We're talking about Lies Your Doctor Tells You, which is an incredible book by Dr. Ken Berry. And we're going to talk about a lot more. And this came from a live stream. Somebody said to me in the comments, and it's like it disappeared, I couldn't find it, uh, of one of the posts I've done recently. Hey, when you're going to live stream, could you let us know? I do. I do. Uh, When it's a big thing like Ken, I generally send an email separate from my daily mail. Or I tell you the day before in that mail and say, hey, we're going to be live streaming tomorrow on YouTube and Odyssey and Floating. Here's all the links. If you are on um, our Telegram uh, announcement channel or our group, I somewhere about an hour to half an hour before I go live, I always post it there. If you follow me on Gab or MeWe or Float, I always post it there. And whenever I post something on Discord, it goes to Telegram, and apparently I got double posted today, because whenever I post something on Telegram, it goes to Discord, because Tom's awesome, and he set that all up. So if you're on our Discord or Telegram, uh, or float or gab uh, or me we if you follow me on any of that then you're gonna know and if you're on the daily mail you most of the time will know i don't always get that done uh but if you want to always be aware that you know you have an opportunity to see me in a live stream there you go and you will find from now on on fridays i will always be live streaming about 7 30 to 7 45 in the morning central standard time with the new series out back with jack but you need not worry. If you do miss a, a live stream, you will always get those live streams. Well, most of the time. Maybe you have a live stream. It's just a live stream. But they'll almost always end up in a podcast. And those videos will, uh, as long as YouTube doesn't take them down, they'll, they'll be there for uh, YouTube eternity. Uh, they Again, they end up on Odyssey long-term, and hopefully when Float launches Float 2.0, the, the real Float platform, uh, it'll be easier to make your videos permanently available on Float as well. All right, with that, before I bring Dr. Ken on, let us remind you guys about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Ridge Wallet. Ridge Wallet changed my life just a little bit, but for the better, because I had this big, giant, fat-ass billfold, like I used to be a fat-ass too sitting in my back pocket. It always made me uncomfortable. So I would always take it out of my pocket whenever I could. And so I'd be in my truck driving, and then i have this lump on my butt, and I'd put it in a little cubby hole, and i go in the grocery store, and i get all the groceries, and i get to the counter, and my wallet's in the truck. You ever have that happen? Right? Uh, and it was just I was carrying stuff I really didn't need to carry. You know, a prepper, I have EDC and all that stuff. Uh, Ridge Wallet approached me. They gave me a Ridge Wallet. I put all my stuff in it, and I looked at all the stuff that was still in my billfold, and I put the billfold on the shelf. And a month later, I said, if I've made it this long without it, I I clearly don't need it. That was three years ago, and I carry my Ridge Wallet every day. It helps protect my identity. It looks cool, and it just works better. Check them out today at RidgeWallet.com. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine, easiest sponsor for me to ever say yes to ever. I just became a subscriber to Backwoods Home in 1994. I started reading them in 1993 when I got out of the Army. I'm still a subscriber today. If you check out BackwoodsHome.com, you'll see why. Incredible information and the longevity folks to be a print magazine that is still successful in 2021. I believe they launched in 1986. They're doing something right. They're a quarterly publication now. That's about the only way you can really survive in print anymore. But that means every edition is like a book on homesteading and preparedness and libertarian thought and everything. They are what you would hope Mother Earth News would go back to being. I used to love Mother Earth News years and years ago. Now they're just full of woke crap. If you want the real deal, check out Backwoods Home. And, hey, did you know you can get 24 years of Backwoods Home on a thumb drive for 45 bucks? You really can. There's a link in the show notes for that today as well. Well, all right, guys and gals, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome a long-term friend of the Survival Podcast and expert council member, Dr. Ken Berry, to the Survival Podcast. Ken, welcome back to the show, man.
2: Thanks, Jack. Always a pleasure to chat with a rational, intelligent human.
1: Well, we'll see if we can find one for you, but until then, I'll do my best. Um, let's start out with just for people that maybe are tuning into the show for the first time, they haven't heard from you, they don't know who or what a Dr. Kenberry is. Tell us like, you know, the, the condensed version of your story of how you've come to, to the work that you're doing now.
2: Yep. I'm traditionally trained MD in allopathic medicine, went to State University, graduated middle of my class, did a residency in family medicine, uh, and started practicing medicine, both in the emergency room and in the clinic and, uh, started getting fat. we were, Jack and I were just talking we, before our early thirties, we were great. We were muscly. We were skinny. Then all of a sudden mid thirties, I got fat and I got pre diabetic and I got a whole host of other medical conditions. And so I thought, well, okay, I give advice on this every day, right? Jack, I, I, I'm, I'm an expert. And so I, I started applying the, the advice I was giving to my obese diabetic patients, eat lots of whole grains, drink fruit smoothies, eat lots of fruits and vegetables, go jogging, eat less and move more. And so I did that for three months and and I actually gained more fat and got more pre-diabetic. And it was at that point I said, what the hell? That's that. I don't understand. And so that's when I really put back on my thinking cap and my student Hat and stopped and took off my expert hat because obviously I wasn't an expert because I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, did I? And so I basically went back to school and got a a uh, idiosavant education in nutrition and just you know uh, autodidact and just started reading everything I get my hands on and and it it kind of became obvious that if you're overweight and pre diabetic or type two diabetic, you need to be eating a very low carbohydrate diet. And indeed, when I started doing that. The, the the pounds of stored fat started falling off, and the uh, hemoglobin A1C went back to normal very quickly. And so then I started recommending that to my patients. At some point on this journey, my wife said, "You know, you help 30, 40 patients a day in the clinic. That's awesome. I'm proud of you. But what if you could help 3,000 people a day? And that's when she said, "You should start a YouTube channel. Initially, I was very resistant to that. I'm like, I am a, I am a doctor. I'm board certified, blah, blah, blah. Why would I be a YouTube? And then I finally just shut up and listened to my wife, which Jack knows from experience usually turns out for your benefit. And I listened to my wife and started a YouTube channel and here we are.
1: So did you in this journey kind of discover what I did that like I started. My journey on this with, uh, like the work of the doctor's Eids, uh, on protein power, Atkins, kind of old school low carb, and it worked, but it was not sustainable. I would not stick to it. I would fall off it. Yep. And when I discovered keto and said, Hey, you know, fat is your friend. And I, I agree with a lot of people in our world to say, do not, do not fear protein. Like people that think protein's all going to turn to sugar. It's like, that's an on demand. Your body has, has to take what it wants to do gluconeogenesis with. It's not going to take more than it needs. Right. But the fat, it, it made everything sustainable because all of a sudden you weren't trying to like gnaw the knees off of a donkey while it ran down the street in the middle of the day because you weren't hungry anymore. And to me that was like the magic final link that it wasn't that I was afraid of fat on those diets. I wasn't getting enough because I wasn't consciously seeking it.
2: Right. right. Yep. And I think that's very common. And so let's just be honest right up front. If you, if you, uh, energy restrict, you can lose weight on any diet, but the problem with every diet in the world that is a calorie restriction or a portion control diet is that it is by definition a semi starvation diet. And Jack has animals on his farm. I've seen them. If you, if you starve your ducks enough, Jack, they'll, they'll, they'll go over the fence, won't they? They absolutely will. Sure. Uh, I used to have goats. If I underfed them after a day or two, they would get out of the fence. I don't care. You could have a prison type wall fence situation. The goats would get out if they're hungry. Guess what? Human beings are mammals, too. We're exactly the same. When you when a doctor tells a patient, okay, you need to semi starve yourself for the rest of your life. And that will fix your obesity and your your diabetes. That's like telling the patient, hey, you should just hold your breath for 30 minutes a day, just all at one time. Get it out of the way. That's impossible. Or say, you know, you should make your heart beat twenty beats a minute. I can't. What? What are you talking about? So telling a patient you should move more and eat less—that is the definition of, of semi-starvation, is it not?
1: It is, and I, I actually think it's kind of worse because by not telling them to change the food they're eating, let's face it—you were there, I was there. Some of these people are way worse than we were at our worst. You become addicted to carbohydrates. So when you tell somebody, well, you can eat pasta and grains and, and even donuts, if you check your sugars and, and do whatever you're supposed to do, you know, <laughs> and adjust your insulin, the complete lie. But you're also telling the crack addict, look, man, or the heroin addict, you don't need to stop your crack or your heroin. You just need to use less of it. Right. Yeah, and then imagine food. that you can go to any store, anywhere, anytime, any place and buy as much crack and heroin as you want. And yeah. you give somebody that's a, an addict, the advice to just use less drugs. Yeah, you're well, killing them. And that's what these doctors are
2: doing. Yeah, I know you feel the same way. 100%. Yeah. And I think the best advice for people who are addicted to crack is, come on, you just got to stop using it. crack. No, no, no. Just smoke crack in moderation, Jack. That's, that's- <laughs> <laughs> Which is what they're saying, isn't it? That, isn't that exactly
1: what they're saying? You've got somebody that's 350 pounds. They have arms where the fat rolls over their elbow. They've been eating donuts and pasta their whole life. You say eat less of them like what are the odds that will ever, under any circumstances, work? I would say almost zero.
2: Zero percent. And that's why, indeed, uh, the, the the regulatory bodies that govern medicine are starting to just recommend gastric bypass surgery, even for children with morbid obesity. They're like, guys, just stop wasting your time recommending this uh, move more, eat less, because the patients aren't going to do it. We'll not we'll talk about the fact that that shit don't work. But the patients aren't going to do it. So just go straight to gastric bypass. Just chop out part of their gastrointestinal system, mutilate their guts, and that'll help them lose weight. Just cut to the chase and stop recommending this and that and lifestyle modification. And it's the reason that doesn't work is because you're telling the crack addict, just smoke crack in moderation, bro. Don't stop overdoing it on the crack. And I was talking to my friend. Take your friend. Narcan, right? Take your Narcan daily yeah, and you'll be good. Yeah. Take your Narcan. <laughs> and yeah. And so I was just talking to my friend Melissa about a keto website that's very popular. She was making a recipe for peach cobbler. Now, Jack, do you love peach cobbler? I, I love it, but I don't eat it. <laughs> Dude, I freaking love it. But she said in her video, you can, yes, you can have peach cobbler on keto. You just have to eat it in moderation. And I'm like, Oh, that's that's revolutionary advice. Okay, so just have it in moderation. You're telling all the carb addicts to just smoke their crack in moderation. So that's I think that's the main reason a lot of people, if they've tried keto and failed, it's because they were either eating lots of things that they were just trying to eat in moderation and obviously failing every time because they're a carbohydrate addict. Or they were using lots of keto products like the exogenous ketones and the keto cookies and pies and cakes and shakes and bars. That's never going to work. You can do this with real food. You can do this without buying a single product. And that's why I love it so much. And as Jack alluded to earlier, it's super sustainable when you're adding enough fat to make your food delicious and to help your body get all the essential fatty acids that it needs every day for proper optimal function.
1: Let's move into type 2 diabetes. That's going to be the main focus of our topic today. Um, and I want to read to you what I wrote in the show notes. So if you're a doctor. You can tell me if I have this wrong at all and I'll correct it before it goes out in print. But I said of type two diabetes in the show notes today, in my view, we should not even call type two diabetes, well, diabetes. I personally consider it a life, lifestyle insu- induced insulin resistance. Yep. Type two diabetics are often producing more than adequate insulin than a healthy person needs. What yep. happens is due to overconsumption of sugar, carbohydrates, they become resistant to insulin, needing more and more to control blood sugar. Then the cascade occurs. More insulin creates more fat storage with even the same amount of calories, leading to more need for artificial insulin, leading to greater insulin resistance, back to more weight gain, and it continues. And, and that's what I think we're dealing with. It's not even – like we call it diabetes because that's the result, but it's not really diabetes. Like yeah. diabetes is my pancreas can't make insulin. That's a horrible thing. It affects about five to ten percent, depending on whose numbers you believe of diabetics that exist in the country today. The rest are type two. And it's I have to couch this with I've heard from one or two people that have made a pretty good case that like it's something that can happen without bad diet, but in my opinion, it's that's exceedingly rare. That's a unicorn.
2: Yep, that that's not gonna happen. It's cause because you know very well, Jack, that the words you use matter very much. Uh, like if I say the word liberal, well, OK, that may or may not mean anything because my definition and your definition and the guy listing's definition may be completely different. Because if I talk about that, I'm talking about the classical sense of liberal. But most people today, they don't they don't even know there's a classical versus a modern definition. And so the words you use to describe medical conditions like type two diabetes, that sounds like something you got genetically, maybe. Who the hell knows? I don't know. Maybe I had a viral infection. But when you call it what it is, I'm a huge proponent of calling things what they are. Let's call it chronic carbohydrate overdose syndrome. Because I like that.
1: I like you immediately that.
2: immediately know what caused it. But you also know built into the definition is the solution oh okay so if i'm if I'm a crack addict, what should I do? I should smoke less crack until I stop. Yes, that's right. if I have chronic carbohydrate overdose syndrome, what should I do about that uh avoid saturated fat mm- not in the definition nope should I should I eat more fruits and vegetables Mm-mm, not in the definition what's what what condition do you have? what should you do about it? It becomes very simple when you call it what it is see, and I think they
1: call it type two diabetes because it makes people immediately so, uh, accept the solution of take this pill.
2: Yep. Right. 100%. Yeah. And like so that, that's the whole
1: say, goal. Sell more drugs.
2: Yeah. Well, and I don't even, that's not the whole goal of your average doctor at the average doctor's office. Let's be very clear. I think at the very higher levels of the pharmaceutical industries, there's 100% profit driven conspiratorial thinking going on. 100 percent agree. But at your local doctor's office, there's none of that. Your doctor's just trying to get by and pay the electric bill and make the Mercedes payment and put his kids in. I mean, he's just trying to get by. She's just trying to get by. But what they wind up doing is not thinking about what they're doing. And and that's that's very dangerous. And as you know, I I know people who've lost legs, who have kidney failure, who are blind because they were just given idiotic advice about type two diabetes from their doctor, along with. A handful of pills and injections. And I think that it's very clear that pills and injections do not reverse type two diabetes, but there is a way of eating and a way of living that does reverse type two diabetes effortlessly, cheaply and permanently. And when you, when you think about that, what the hell is your doctor doing? It does, it makes many people question the entire industry of medicine and you should question it. But your doctor's not part of this big conspiracy. Your doctor's just doing the best he can. If you came to see me back in 2003, I would have said you need to eat more whole grains and stop eating the honey buns. You need to get off the couch and move. You need to eat lots of fruits and vegetables. We always say it that way, don't we? And you need to take these two pills. That literally would have been what came out of Dr. Barry's mouth back in 2003 because I was an idiot. I didn't know better at that time. Now I know better, so I have to do better, and I have to teach better, and that's what I'm on a mission to do.
1: You know, I agree with you that doctors are not generally part of this grand conspiracy. I I say they're the result. Mm -hmm. The pharmaceutical companies drive the training that the physicians receive, and, you know, no one gets heavily successfully sued and put out of business or uh, has their license revoked or anything like that for following protocol, right? So you train the protocol, and then you enforce the protocol, and then G, the doctors, you know, hand out the protocol. Yep. So I don't think they're they're part of it is in they're in on it so they can gain. I think they're the result of it. Just like if I trained you know young children to be, you know, jerks, then I then they're the result of my
2: training. That's right. And I think doctors are dupes just like the patients, but there's a difference because the doctor, number one, should know better. And number two, the doctor doesn't suffer. The egregious complications that come with uncontrolled type 2 diabetes, the patient is the one that's going to suffer. And so I can't tell you how many doctors and nurse practitioners and physicians assistants and pharmacists we have in our private Patreon group who are like, because once they do get this, once the paradigm literally shifts in their head, they're like, holy crap, it's actually fun to practice medicine again. It was such a drudgery before because it was literally prescription pad, here's some pills. Next patient, here's, here's some pills. Next patient, here's some pills. And every time you saw the patient six months later, they were fatter, sicker, more miserable and more consigned that I'm screwed. My life is going to suck for the rest of my life. But when a doctor learns how to de-prescribe and how to actually talk about a diet that is sustainable that you can actually do, that's not going to break the bank, that's not going to, you know, you're not going to have to be food prepping for seven hours a day to get your food ready. You're not going to have to drive three and a half hours to that one grocery store that has that that special berry from the Himalayan mountains. You just eat meat and a little bit of veg, and all of a sudden, it's fun to practice medicine, because when that patient comes back in six months, their A1C is better. They've lost 20 pounds. They feel better. They're sleeping better. Everything's going better in the bedroom if you catch my drift. And it's like, dude, I love you. You're my favorite doctor in the world because you're actually, I can see benefits in my life when I follow your advice. Whereas all the other doctors I've ever seen, I just got fatter and sicker. So let's, let's talk a little bit
1: about this docu-series, um, I want to hear how you got involved with it in the first place, but I also want to just kind of pull one thing out of it that I picked when I watched most of it yesterday. There was a point in it where you were talking to the, uh, I guess, the, the guests, the participants, the patients, call them what you want, the people that were there to reverse their diabetes. And you asked them, right, and these are people with serious medical problems. Has any of your doctors ever said to you, my goal for you is to get you off of insulin and healthy again, and not one of them said yes, that they had never heard those words come out of the mouth of a doctor. And that I knew it, but it's still watching it. It kind of hit me like, damn, like we're really killing people here. Like you're not upholding your Hippocratic oath. You can't be, you might, might be a dupe, but you're still not doing it. All these people doing
2: this shit. I mean, whether you kill somebody intentionally with malice or forethought, or whether you kill somebody accidentally, they're still dead. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, if you're in the legal realm, they, they understand that very clearly, but I don't think a lot of doctors understand that if you're giving bad medical advice and people are suffering irreparable harm and dying prematurely, uh, that's your fault. Yeah. And, and, and so I think a lot of doctors have never considered that either. And they see one of my YouTube videos and they're like, holy crap i I never say that to my patients. Maybe I should look into this because that first of all would be an amazing thing to be able to tell my patients truthfully and once they've watched a few videos and thought about this a while and maybe went back to their old physiology textbook, looked a few things up. they're like, holy crap this is this does work. this will work. I'm going to start recommending this, and then all of a sudden, not just that one patient who kept bugging them about keto, but now all of a sudden Jack. Every single patient they see every day is getting better advice.
1: Yeah, and it, it is a cascade that, that reverses the original cascade. Um How did you end up involved with this docu series? they reach out to you? Was it like a casting call? How, how did this all happen? And, and also, what made them decide to do this in Costa Rica? I mean, that's a cool place and all, but it had to add cost to production and things like that.
2: Yeah, and so uh Charles Maddox, he was the third producer that reached out to me and said, "Hey, I've seen your YouTube videos. I want to make a documentary or a movie about this." The first guy just disappeared, never heard from him again. The second guy, was sounded pretty good, and I'm like, "Okay, yeah, let's do this." And he's like, "Okay, I need 80 grand up front just to cover expenses." And I'm like, "No, no, I'm I'm going to give you the information. I'm not going to pay your bills." And so I guess there's a production Model of profit out there where the, the, the guy pays them to basically make a movie saying whatever you want. I was like, yeah, I'm not interested. Have a nice day. Then Charles popped up. So Nisha and I were both you're skeptical, like, oh, another producer. Okay. This ought to be good, but he stuck with it. He kept, he kept saying, no, we're going to do this a hundred percent. And we, he had the reason we went to Costa Rica is because he felt like we had to have some beautiful background scenery. He had to get the drone shots. It's got to be, you know, visually appealing or people are not going to watch it. That was his opinion. I may or may not disagree with that. That's irrelevant. Uh, but I, I think the information is so groundbreaking. We probably could have shot this in my backyard and it would help just as many people. But I'm not a producer, am I, Jack? So, right. So I just shut up and stayed in my lane and taught these people how to reverse their type 2 diabetes, uh, which they're all actively still doing. I'm in contact with all of them and they're all doing great uh, and so that's why it's in Costa Rica. And I, I wish that we'd spend a little more of the budget on, uh, promotion instead of travel. But again, I'm not a producer, uh, but it was a great experience and, and Costa Rica is definitely a beautiful place. I'm happy that I got the experience.
1: So the, the, one of the things I wanted to make sure that I got through to my audience today was that we are talking about reversing type two diabetes, Yep. but you know, when I looked into keto, I figured out that there are people who have reversed cancer by going on keto diets and in my you know my my takeaway from that was, well, if you can end up with a cancer and you can go to, to keto and basically starve the cancer of sugar and take the cancer away, then maybe by going keto, we don't get cancer in the first place, at least some types of cancer. Well maybe that applies to type 2 diabetes and i I want people to understand the the depth of this problem first of all, Every number I'm going to give you is from the CDC. Um, I know you know these for the audience, right? Every number I'm gonna give you from the CDC, but the number's going up every year. There are an estimated 35 million diabetics in America. Only about 5% of those are type 1, people who were born with the curse. That I think a lot of that 5% wants to kick the shit out of these people who have given it to themselves, right? Because they don't have the option to just make it go away, right? That means we're looking at like 32.5 million people with type 2 diabetes. Just in the U.S. alone. Just in the U.S., and this stems from obesity, right? And some people look really obese and some don't, but it's obesity is what causes it. Obesity itself is killing 600 plus 1,000 people a year in this country, many of them through diabetes, or they'll say not diabetes wasn't the cause, it was kidney failure. It was kidney failure from freaking diabetes, right? So that 32 million number that keeps growing, the other side of that is there's a lot of those people dying every year, and there's more than enough new diabetics to replace them. We now have children in their teens with type 2 diabetes. Even like I'm sure you remember, you're about a little bit older than me, right? Like back in school, there was probably the fat kid in your school. Right. Like one. Right. And now, like, it's the fat kids. And and it's this is this for all the talk of pandemics. This, to me, is the modern Western world pandemic. It's obesity. It's diabetes due to obesity. It's cardiovascular damage due to, to obesity. And I think one thing people need to understand is people like you can help them reverse a lot of this. But like once you do physical damage to your heart you, it, that damage is there forever. You can stop the damage, but you can't make it go away. Like we were talking about me busting my tendon earlier. How do you fix a muscle when it's busted? You rest it. You don't have that option with your heart. Like people need to take control of this now because your future is written. If you don't.
2: That's right. hundred percent. And so, yeah, you talk about the, the millions of people with type two diabetes but what about the millions of people with pre-diabetes, right? Because there's a- absolute uh, unarguable research truth that if you have pre-diabetes, you're doing damage just as much as if you had type 2 diabetes. You're damaging every tiny artery in your body, the arteries that feed your eyeballs, your other ones, your heart, your liver, your kidneys, your toes, everything hinges on the health of your arteries. What about all the people who have prediabetes or type 2 diabetes and are not diagnosed because their idiot doctor doesn't know to check a hemoglobin A1C and a C-peptide, right? What about all the people who are misdiagnosed as having type 2 diabetes who really have type 1? You and I know a guy. That was, that was diagnosed as type two diabetes for seven years. Yeah. Cause his idiot doctor, doctors. Yes. He called multiple doctors. Cause he had type two, he was taking the medicine. His blood sugar was still 400 every day. And he would go back to his doc and say, are you sure I'm not type one? The doc's like, no, you're 40. You're type two. You're too 40, old. Yeah. You're too old. Right. This guy suffered all the damage that was done every day for seven years. What's seven times 365? That damage like Jack alluded to is permanent. This guy is trying now he he finally found a doctor, got diagnosed properly as type 1 and is taking charge of it with a ketogenic diet. But all that damage, all that damage you can't take that back and and he's furious, he should be. Uh but some of the 2555 days. 2555 days he was having microscopic amounts of damage for every single one of those days. If that doesn't piss you off, I don't know what can even get a a rise out of you. This has got to stop. And I'm hoping that reversed this docu-series is going to be the thing that's the tipping point that makes every patient in the world when they go to their doctor and say, look, doc, I don't want to just manage this. I don't want you to give me another pill. I want to reverse it. I saw this television show that says you can reverse it. I want you to help me reverse it. How do we do that? And either the doctor says, oh, yeah, I've heard of Dr. Barry. Let's do this. Or they say, you can't reverse type 2 diabetes. What are you talking about? And the patient says, idiot, go watch reversed. And then you, too, can be a good doctor.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that we have done by calling this a disease rather than a health issue is we've made people think binary, Right. So like I either have cancer or I don't have cancer. I don't have pre, well, I guess you can have some precancerous skin cells or something, but in general, I don't have precancer. I either have the flu or I don't have the flu. I don't have the pre flu, right? I'm either infected or I'm not. Well, diabetes isn't like that. Diabetes type two, which is really carbohydrate overdose, right? Is like a dimmer switch. So if I. Take a dimmer switch, and I've got this light over my head here, and I turn that up, doc, just a little bit, and that light's on really dim. And I say to you, is that light on or off? You say the light's on, and you're correct. But a doctor looking at an A1C that's slightly elevated says, oh, you're pre-diabetic. Well, no, you're diabetic. You're just not as diabetic as the person he just saw that had to, like, limp in with their foot ready to be amputated. You're still diabetic.
2: So diabetes, type two diabetes, is a spectrum, and a lot of doctors, they're first of all, they're trained to say this. So it's not, again, it's not the conspiracy. But if your hemoglobin A1C is under seven, they will tell you, literal quote, "That's fine, keep doing what you're doing. I'll see you in six months." That happens hundreds of thousands of times in doctors' offices around the world every single day. That is dangerous advice. In my opinion, that's malpractice if your doctor says, your are a A1C 6.9, good job, I'll see you in six months. But that happens every day, Jack. That's not rare. That's super common because the American Diabetes Association trains doctors that as long as you can get their A1C under seven, you're a good doctor and they're doing a good job and nothing bad's going to happen. That's terrible advice. Even with a hemoglobin A1C of 5.6, which is normal, there's still a little bit of damage being done. The research shows without any kind of uh, equivocation that the lower your A1C is, the longer you're going to live, the less damage you're going to have done. And so I tell people, yeah, 5.6, awesome. You hit a triple. Now let's go for the home run. Let's get it even lower than that. That's where you live a long damn time. You outlive all your enemies. You wind up with all the toys because everybody else who had the toys died and you're the only one still alive.
1: You know, let's, let's move into a little bit about how not only eating the right food, but things like intermittent fasting. And I, I daily intermittent fast. It's not even a, it's not even a plan for me anymore. I just eat my lunch really late and my dinner fairly early and I don't, I don't eat any other time. And if I must, I want to have a snack on a given day, I eat in between, right? And that's, that's just what it's been. But we've been talking about how the alleles extend, you know, in your cells and it basically is a turning back the clock on aging. And it, it made me think of something I saw a long time ago and these two people seemed like complete loons to me and, and they were, but I think it might be the same reason that what they were saying worked. It was like on 60 minutes or 2020 or something like that. And it was these two people and they were eating mate, mainly plants, but they were eating a, a very, very restricted diet and they did not look healthy, but yep. their, their claim was it would extend their lives. Yep. And the actual science behind it living at the edge of starvation was they, they they'd tend to live longer. They didn't look healthy, but I'm feeling like the intermittent fasting and, and that have that similarity in that by going without food, it's causing the body to basically burn all the things out of you that need to go away. And if you're constantly shoving food in your hole, that process never happens. Even if you look thin and you seem relatively healthy and your, your, your numbers are good, you're not cleansing, you know, the things that become cancers. You're not cleansing yeah. the old dead cells that need to go away because your body's never put in a place where it's it's given, I guess, a positive form of stress where it says, hey, take this time, cleanse this shit out.
2: Yep. Yeah. So and there's there's lots of research in rodent models, rats and mice in dogs and even in monkeys, that if you calorie restrict them, basically just uh, semi starvation for the rest of their life, they live longer, 100 percent. But here's the problem. The paradigm is wrong, in my opinion, because if you're if you're calorie restricting this animal, what else are you restricting? Carbohydrates, right? 100 percent. And secondly, in order to semi starve them, you got to lock them in a cage, because just like we said earlier, if you don't lock them in a cage and semi starve them, they'll break out and they'll go eat. So you got to keep them in a cage. And and Jack is exactly right. The people who are the maybe the one tenth of one percent of people who can actually starve themselves for years, they're very rare, but also they're very skinny and they don't look healthy. They don't look happy because they ain't they're, they ain't they ain't happy. It sucks to starve yourself. Right. And so just imagine if you're like, OK, I'm going to starve myself for the next 20 years. Who's going to do that? Nobody, except for that one weird guy that nobody liked in school. He might do it, but nobody cares if he you know what I mean? It's just it's ridiculous. But the problem with all this research is now people are actually now that low carb is becoming very popular, they're going back and saying, you know, you were also restricting carbs. So was it was it the starvation or was it that you were just restricting carbohydrate intake? That maybe okay. is what made them live longer and you cannot tease out which one it was from the research they did the way they did it. A ketogenic diet is a fasting mimicking diet, meaning that all the hormones mimic, they go to the same place that they go to when you're fasting. Now, obviously fasting is more powerful as a fasting mimicking thing than, than, than keto. But most people, if they're eating enough fat in their ketogenic diet, they're just naturally gonna start fasting. You're gonna start skipping breakfast or you're gonna start skipping dinner because you're just not hungry. It's easy to fast if you're not hungry. And we that, had a question come in, Doc. What is a good A1C? So, okay, let's talk about A1C. A perfect A1C is about 5.0. OK, and you're you're going to be able to get that on a super, super low carb, uh, carbohydrate diet. Uh, if it is 5.6 or lower, that's considered that's the official cutoff for normal. If it is 5.7, you're pre-diabetic and that is an arbitrary cutoff. There is no research that shows that a 5.6 is way, way better than a 5.7. We the, basically some old white haired guys and white coats got in a room and voted and said, OK, let's make it 5.6. That's the cutoff. So between 5.7 and 6.4, you're pre-diabetic. Now, is, is, a, is somebody with a 6.4, are they doing much better than somebody with a 6.5? No, that's just an arbitrary cutoff. OK. And so if you've got a 6.5 or higher, you are a type two diabetic currently or you suffer from chronic carbohydrate overdose syndrome. And so the instant that you start cutting back on carbohydrates, not cutting back portion size, you're going to get rid of the carbohydrates and you're going to eat more fatty meat. You're going to eat more bacon, more eggs, more avocado that you you eat to your full on keto. That's one of the beautiful things that makes it so sustainable is you never walk away from the, the table hungry. If you do, that's your fault. It ain't my fault. OK, because I told you to eat till you're comfortably stuck your hemoglobin A1C is immediately going to start to come down, okay? And the more you restrict the carbs, the faster it's going to come down and the more completely it's going to come down. So if you start, you can start with a hemoglobin A1C of 13, which I've seen. It's very dangerous, but it happens. When you start to cut the carbs immediately, it's going to start to drop. In three months' time, you can have your hemoglobin A1C of 12, 13, 14. You can have it down to seven or eight. Another three months, you can have it down to a five or a six. Okay. It literally within six months, somebody with the highest hemoglobin A1C you've ever heard in your life can have a normal A1C. And that is the definition of no longer being a type two diabetic.
1: Mine wasn't that bad, but I was, I went from a five nine to a five one. So you were
2: pre diabetic, pre diabetic. And now you have you, your A1C is lower than probably 95 percent of the adult population in the United States. Well done. And so you might people might be saying, well, OK, I changed the number on my lab results. Big whoop. Well, what Jack did in the background, in his physiology, is he he cut his risk of having a heart attack in half. He cut his risk of having a stroke in half. He cut his, he cut his risk of kidney failure by probably 95 percent. He cut his risk of losing a toe or losing a foot or a leg by probably 99%. He cut his risk of having diabetic uh, retinopathy and going blind by 99.9%. All of these things that happen to diabetics, they don't happen because you have this diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. They happen because of what's going on in your physiology on a daily basis. Yeah, Derek reversed. Look at this. He went from a hemoglobin A1C of 8.8 down to 6.2 in eight weeks, two months. He knocked two more over two points off of his A1C with keto. That's how it's done. Well done, Derek. Now it's time, Derek, to keep it going till you get under five, six, and then you're going to start teaching your friends and family. Well done.
1: So let's talk a little bit. We have one question here, alcohol consumption. Let's do the short answer on that because the short answer is you ain't burning fat when you have alcohol in your system, right?
2: Uh, your, Your liver has to prioritize getting the alcohol out of your bloodstream because, listen carefully, everybody listen up, alcohol is poison. Okay, you understand there is no alcohol that's not poison. Now, do Jack and I have a drink every now and then? Hell, yeah, we do because we like it. But do we in any way delude ourselves into thinking, oh, no, it's red wine. It's very good for my heart. Bullshit. Okay, that's stupid. Stop saying stupid things like that. Alcohol is poison. If you want to have a little poison every now and then, that's totally fine. But you need to be honest with yourself and say, "I, I love this really old bourbon. It's so smooth, but it's bad for me. It's bad for my liver. It's bad for my kidneys. It's bad for my brain, but I'm going to have a drink anyway because I'm an adult and I'm going an, I can make that decision and I'm going to do it anyway. Alcohol is never healthy. Number one. Number two, alcohol is never beneficial ever. I don't care what they said on WebMD or CNN. That's horse shit. Let's be very clear. So with that being said, if you're going to have an occasional drink, have, have gin, vodka, whiskey and mix it with something that has zero calories and zero carbohydrates, and enjoy that in very strict, rare moderation, and you're, it's it's fine. But do not delude yourself into thinking that and there is any beneficial effect of alcohol whatsoever, because there ain't. And I would add,
1: in my personal experience, when you're far from your target weight, don't. No, just don't. When you're in that loss mode, you're going to set yourself back. You're, you're basically giving up for two drinks, two days. Yep. That your body totally. is, is going to get th- so th- yep. thrown out of whack. You're going to have a couple hours of it in your system. Yep. You're going to have about 48 hours before your body starts burning fat again. I can prove it with my own weight loss records in Excel and you can see where I had a couple, three drinks and you can see exactly what happened and the steady weight loss went away. The next yep. day you actually will go down a little bit because you dehydrated yourself. And then when you, you'll come back up and it takes a couple of days to start that steady okay. track down again. It just happens. I'm sorry, guys. I wish I could tell you it doesn't, but we're, neither one of us are going to lie to you. The other okay. thing, you're talking about portions, too. Like, I think especially as you get into a two-meal-a-day regimen, or some do one. I'm, I'm not going there, but two meals a day. You really don't have to worry and you uh, about your portions at all, assuming you're sticking to true keto. We're not trying to make keto gumball lasagna balls or some right. stuff, right? You know, and, and almond flour, everything and all like real keto. You don't have to worry about it. And this is why I, I love your term proper human diet. There are no obese animals. Now people no. will look at an elephant or a hippo. They're exactly the way they're supposed to be. Yeah. And, the there only, them, I mean, the and there's no obese
2: an animal, carnivores. The only time in a, the, an animal in the wild ever is obese is if they have access to human trash,
1: Correct. So they're
2: basically eating our diet. But otherwise, an animal in the wild eating their species-specific diet, no matter how much food there is, they are never obese ever. End of story.
1: And and as someone who's gone into ecology a lot, this idea that it's because there's only so much food, they don't have – no. If a a lion wants another wildebeest – a lion's gonna get another wilderness. Right there. Right? We're right right there, right there. Right there. They We're look for the so stupid and the slow, and they go knock one out yeah. like really quick. So they eat as much as they choose to eat, but yep. they're eating their proper diet. But now right. we take the lion and put him in a zoo. And then we supplement his meat with basically kibble. And we have lions that are, you know, 13 year old male lions that have freaking diabetes. Right. We so, have dogs with diabetes, Can
2: Like, and what is yep. the dog eating?
1: Man, the the, 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 the reason reason is, is.
2: When you're eating a species specific diet, it hacks your hunger hormones and it hacks your satiety hormones so that it just turns your hunger off. And that's why I don't know if any of you guys listened to my podcast with Jack several months back, but I challenged Jack. I said, Jack, I will pay you five hundred dollars if you will eat all the beef, butter, bacon and eggs. No condiments, only salt, and water, beef, butter, bacon and eggs. You can eat 15 times a day. You can eat 15 pounds of it a day. I will pay you 500 bucks if you can gain 20 pounds doing that. And Jack didn't take my bet. No, not that he's not, he, he's game. He's, he's, he's grown up. He'll stand up when he needs to, but he knows you cannot do that because the fat and the protein in that meat is going to turn off your hunger hormones and turn on your satiety or your fullness hormones. And at some point of eating that, you will be just like the lion, even though there's more antelope laying right there. You could eat. You get up and walk away because you're like, that's it. I'm done. I cannot eat another bite. I'm, I literally would throw up if I eat one more bite. That's how the human body works, too. But we haven't been trained to know that because we're trying to eat all this high carbohydrate garbage that the American Diabetes Association. Have you guys ever went to the ADA website and looked at the recipes that they recommend? Like, the average recipe is going to have 30 grams of carbohydrates per serving. Because oatmeal good si- for you, a right? A serving size is one-tenth of a teaspoon, right? So you, need to, you have to eat it in moderation. And you're like, what the hell is wrong with you? But they're like, don't eat red meat. Don't eat saturated fat. You know, uh, don't eat too many egg yolks, but eat this high-carb meal. And we are the American Diabetes Association, and we're here to take care of you
1: no thank you no thank you i've gone to about 95% carnivore if i eat any vegetables it's 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 raw greens and things like that you know um i've just found it easier and and our disagreement about calories is i know most people when they go keto they start counting carbs they don't do what you're saying right and right. they're they're bringing these other things and i'm like you're dealing with an addict and if you don't put that addict on portion control and you're going keto that way they're going to overeat yeah, but if, and I if think you're being realize right, you're not going to freaking overeat. You can't do it. it. It won't
2: happen. Yep. And I think you some, might for a week, but, but you, you won't sustainably it right. do it, right? Yep. I think Jackson, right, exactly right for some people. Other people. And so that also let me, let's talk about this is very important to do keto right. You got to count total carbs. You do not count net carbs because the keto is becoming very popular. Slim fast is in the keto market, right? Weight Watchers is going to be in the keto market before long or they're going to go broke. All the big guys are uh, now they've got keto bread. They've got keto this, keto that, keto cake, right? Keto peach cobbler. But they, if you look on the front, it'll say only two grams of net carbs. And then when you turn the package over, it's like, oh, it's got 27 grams of total carbs per serving and a serving size is one tenth of a cup. Uh OK, so they're not counting fiber. But what they don't tell you is that soluble fiber does break down into some degree of carbohydrates. Some of the soluble fibers, you get two grams of carbs per right per ounce they don't tell you that, and so you think, oh, I'm only eating two grams of carbs. No, you're actually eating 27 grams of carbs, so you're not even eating a low-carbohydrate diet, even though it says keto on the front of the damn package. But, yeah, if you cut the carbs down low enough, you cannot overeat. You cannot overeat. It is impossible unless you're some kind of a glutton for punishment or you've entered the hot dog eating contest at the fair and you're overeating for money. Maybe then you can do it, but on a daily basis at your house – you're never going to overeat meat. It is impossible to do. Well, and I think the net carb debate has gotten really
1: great over because what kind of net carbs are we talking about? Are we talking about the net carbs from a, a sweet pepper, right you know or or lettuce or cabbage, because the fiber in those is highly indigestible. A little bit of it can maybe be converted in your lower intestine. that's also a uh, it's a biointensive process, so your body tends to only do it if it needs it, kind of like it does with protein. Now, right. if you're talking about extracted wheat starch. They've pumped into a tortilla or a solo bread or whatever. Like tapioca
2: have something like that once in a while. It's probably better. Yeah. So tapioca fiber, oat fiber, corn Uh. fiber, wheat fiber, any of those fibers you see, 100% there's carbs in those fibers. You're going to break them down in your small intestine, not in your colon. And you're going to get carbs out of those. And so, yeah, I, I tend to agree with Jack. And if you go watch some of my YouTube videos from three years ago, I was saying you can trust the net carbs. You can trust broccoli. OK, you can trust collards, but you cannot trust it if it comes in a in a plastic bag or a cardboard box because they get, they got a profit mode. They're going to lie to you. But broccoli will never lie to you. And I agree you can count net carbs if the only carbs you're eating are real vegetables, whole foods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But still, most people find it easier to just count total carbs and get on with it. And then also, Jack touched on something that most people after a while on keto, they just tend to gravitate towards carnivore because you feel better. You look better. Your A1C comes down even faster. Your weight comes down even faster. It's super quick and simple and easy. You just throw it in the skillet for three minutes on each side and then scarf it. You don't have to eat it on a tiny red plate. You don't have to turn off the TV and have dinner with your family. None of that horseshit that the Harvard School of Public Health tells you means anything if you're eating an improper diet. And it also doesn't mean anything if you're eating a proper human diet. You can literally eat with a cafeteria tray piled up with beef ribs. In front of the TV, lock your family in the bedroom, eat with the, and have a big glass and, and you, you know what I'm saying? All those little things like, oh, eat small portions, all that stuff is horseshit. If you're eating a proper human diet, you don't have to worry about any of that.
1: No, I, th- that I agree with. And that's why I think the, the debate comes in. What are we talking about becomes so ever loving, important. Um, you know, last night I had. I had vegetable matter, a very small amount of, I made some cauliflower rice, uh, some fresh caught white bass and made, a, and, and my doctor would have had a heart attack, right? If he would have saw what I was, what I added to that. Cause there's not much fat in the fish. So I threw a whole stick of butter in the pan, a bunch of chopped sage and garlic. and made a sage brown butter sauce and drenched that fish in it. Cause the fish has almost no fat. Right. And I ate that. That was six thirty last night. It's 12 Oh nine. And I have it not eaten today because I'm, Punishing myself, or because I had an early interview with you, I'm not hungry. I'll have okay. to make myself eat yep. about three three thirty so that I can eat my dinner early enough to do this again. But I'll have to like kind. But when I went carnivore or mostly carnivores, when that happened, and I would say people that think the two meal a day thing is going to work, do three carnivore for a week, yep. and then you're just going to find yourself at breakfast going. I- and the first day you think, I don't really need to eat, but you're eating out of habit, don't, and watch what happens. And it will go so much faster than if you're, you know, I love all these keto channels because they're getting the brand out there, but if you're trying to make all kinds of, like, keto noodles and keto pie and all this stuff, it even if it works, it will work so much slower. When I see people go carnivore, it literally just falls, and it's because the hormones balance. But one of the most brilliant things I ever heard you say, Ken, was when you said, if if I have an 18-year-old boy and an 18-year-old girl standing in the distance and all you can see is a silhouette, right, and they're both healthy about the same height, the rate right around the same weight because they're young and thin, you can look at that silhouette and say, boy, girl. That's well, right. what told that girl's body to put a little bit more fat on the hips and on the breasts and be a little more curved? It wasn't the food she ate, right, right. assuming she's eating good food. It's her hormones. Right. And so those hormones control and regulate our entire body structure and type Yep. So if we fuck up our hormones, I'm sorry, but we're going to fuck up
2: our bodies. That's just how it is. Hundred percent. And so you know, people. Some people have a pear shape. Some people have an apple shape. Some people have have uh, their their mesomorphs. So they're ectomorphs or endomorphs. Those are all hormone control things. So your hormones absolutely control where you store fat, but they also control how much fat you store. 100% of the time, and eating a high carbohydrate diet mucks up your hormones. That's exactly how we have this obesity epidemic and this type two diabetes epidemics in the modern society is we're eating too many carbohydrates, too many, definitely too many highly processed carbohydrates, and your hormones are completely and utterly confused. All they know is that oh, there's so many carbs, I better store more fat. I better store more fat. My insulin levels chronically high, therefore I'm storing fat everywhere. And that's how you wind up with people who have fat hands and fat forearms, which literally should not be possible if you're eating a, a proper human diet. The only way you can start to literally put fat on your forehead. If you've ever watched my 600 pound life, this happens. Yeah. Yes, it does up your hormones enough by eating such an improper diet, you can actually put fat on your your feet and your hands and your forehead, places that you, we aren't even designed to store fat, but more dangerously, you're also storing fat in your liver and in your pancreas and actually in your heart muscle and actually inside your tongue and inside your kidneys. Uh, fatty tongue is one of the main causes of sleep apnea. And a lot of people, they, they've got sleep apnea and they're not even overweight. They're slender, but they have sleep apnea, and it's because, for whatever reason, their body just genetically scores more fat in their tongue. They go carnivore after six months. They're selling their CPAP on eBay because they don't need it anymore because they reverse their fatty tongue. They reverse their fatty liver, their fatty kidney, their fatty heart. Even fatty lung is a thing if you're eating too many carbohydrates for your personal biochemistry. All these things get better immediately by eating a ketogenic diet and doing some degree of daily intermittent fasting and also you can reverse type two diabetes by doing that. You know, when I, when I
1: did this, I was about five or six months into it. And one thing I've always been proud of is the build of my legs. I was never a guy in the, you know, the guy sitting there with the big biceps and he's got the bird legs. I've always had big, strong legs and my legs, even when I was fat, seemed like, well, my legs, my legs are lean. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting on the couch with my wife and I just start rubbing my thigh and I went, What the hell? And I'd realized I had lost weight even there. And so like you're saying, you can have this intermuscular fat anywhere and you don't realize it until your body starts to burn it that that that's what, and I can, I can attest to the snoring. I was, I used to shake the house, you know, unless I am completely wiped. Like if I do a 16 hour day and I just hit the bed and that when you hit the bed and you instantly go out, I don't snore
2: hardly at all anymore. Yep. Same for me. I used to, uh Nisha used to have to wear earplugs when, when we were first dating in our first year or two of marriage. And now after, a, so even on carnivore, I still snored a lot, right? But now I don't, I don't snore hardly at all. At least that's what my wife who sleeps in the same bed with me reports. But the only time I'll snore is if I'm like Jack said, completely just blasted, exhausted. And I've got a little bit of irritation, like I'm got a little cold or something. Then I'll snore for a night or two, but on a nightly basis, I don't snore at all. And I'm 52 years old. I'm way younger than Jack, but I just, (laughs) I just don't snore anymore. And and there are so many guys listening to this going, "Ah, that's stupid. I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70. I'm going to snore. No, not necessarily.
1: So we have a question from Larry here. I know exactly how you're going to answer this, but how do I get my antioxidants
2: without fruits and veggies? So Larry still believes, just like I believed when I first started this nutrition journey, that there's magical phytonutrients in plants that you can't get anywhere else except by eating lots of colorful leafy plants and these berries and these roots. That's all horseshit, Larry. And so here's here's the thing. Look up glutathione. You actually make it in your body every day. It is the most powerful antioxidant known on the planet. And you make more of it if you eat more fatty meat. And so glutathione trumps every other antioxidant you've ever heard of in your life that this this guru or that plant-based nutrition guy was talking about. All those antioxidants cry and run home to their mama when they come up against glutathione. So I eat lots of meat to get uh, antioxidants. That's how I get that. And I'll add that
1: like, if you really want to boost your nutrient, include organ meats in your diet. And my way for doing this is I'll get a liver, like a, a, a whole beef liver that's from a grass fed cow. I'll freeze it. Cause if you don't freeze it before you do this, you'll hate yourself. And I'll put it through the grinder and I'll make little one tenth ounce packages of it and put it all in the freezer. Yep. And when I take out a pound of ground beef, I take out a tenth of a pound of liver and I mix that in there in those burgers and it makes them fantastic because I'm not I would love to be the guy that says I love to sit down and eat liver. I do not. But when you mix it in hamburger meat or sausage, I don't know what it does, but I think it's probably just triggering the fact that, you know, you need it. But we're not lions that eat the liver out of the punch. Right. So uh, except for rabbit liver, if you can get your hands on some freaking rabbit liver, that's like the most fantastic food on the planet. But just blend it in with your foods and there's so much nutrient. There's nothing more nutrient dense than a grass fed cow or a wild analog, an elk, a deer, something like that. Nothing even comes close, especially if we use the whole animal. We start rendering bone marrow. We use, we don't throw away the freaking fat and trim it off. I'm like, what are you doing? Like yep. no fat leaves my home without being consumed. If it's too much fat for the dish, We render it, we put it in a jar, we label it, we cook with it. If you're doing that, you're not nutrient deficient, period. It's a lie.
2: Yep, 100% agree. So, yeah, rabbit liver, chicken liver, and cod liver. Those are the three livers that I can eat and, and somewhat enjoy. Now, when Nisha makes chicken, she fries chicken livers in bacon grease. She breads them with pork panko and Parmesan cheese. Dude, I can eat, I can eat those all day. Okay. Those are delicious. But when it comes to pork and beef liver, I don't love them, but Jack's exactly right. If, and so what I do is I take 70, 30 gram beef and I, I use two thirds that one third beef liver and just grind them together. It makes the most amazing hamburgers in the world. And you're getting more phytonutrients because actually if the animal is, is grass fed and grass finished, they actually have phytonutrients in their meat. I've got a study on my desk I haven't read yet that, that actually says, oh, yeah, actually you can get phytonutrients without eating plants if the animal was actually pastured properly and treated and respected like an animal should be. But, uh, yeah, I don't love a lot of liver, but I know I need to eat some liver at least twice a week.
1: Yeah, yeah. And by the way, what you just said about fried chicken livers, my, my fish fry for keto is – Half of the, uh, the pork rind grinds and, and half parmesan. And then just a per cup of each of those, a tablespoon of pecan meal because it binds it yeah. and you can make a fried fish and people don't believe you when you tell them, well, that's diet food yep. and fry that shit in bacon grease, man. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's really not like this is all easy, you know? And I think people are trying to overcomplicate it. I've noticed the first thing I see in like online support groups, how do I make keto bread? And it's like, just don't. Just yeah. don't, even if you're going to eventually do it, like for your first 60 days of initiation and detoxification, you're going to rehab. You don't get, you don't even get NARC, you don't, or what do you call it, uh, methadone, right? You don't, no, you're cold turkey, you're yeah. off, and your life will be easier. Um, I always do try to prepare people for what we call keto flu, though. My wife gets pissed off at me, you know, we'll be talking to somebody's really overweight. The conversation comes up. I'm like, you know, I used to be over 280 pounds. And they're like, what would you do? And I told them, keto, like, I've heard about that. And I always expose them to the possibility that in that first month, like, I had zits that looked like little mini boils come out on me. I had rashes. I got freaking gout. I'm freaking 47, 48 years old when I was doing this. I got freaking gout. Like, what the hell? But I think if you don't know that can happen, then you're like, oh, like, I feel bad, so keto must be bad. Well, if you were a heroin addict, to go back to that mm-hmm. analogy, when you stop taking heroin – you're going to feel like shit. That doesn't mean you need heroin to fix the problem.
2: That's right. Yeah. And and I think making the keto breads or buying the keto breads, it's just like somebody who's just went to rehab for alcohol. Right. And they just got out of the program and they're like, hey, can I have near beer? Is that OK? Oh, duels. Because there's no alcohol. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Why do you, why does that need to still be part of your life? That's not something you should even be thinking about. You maybe need to go back in the program for a couple of days. Cause if you think you need near beer, old duels or some alcohol free beer for your life to be complete, then I don't think you understand the lessons they were trying to teach you in rehab. The same goes for keto bread. If you think you need bread you haven't broken the carbohydrate addiction. You're trying to have a simulacra of your bread so that you can still have your bread and not suffer the consequences. And that usually does not end well.
1: No, your bread is now two leaves of romaine lettuce and put whatever the hell you want from an animal with a face in between them and eat that. Like that's, that's what your bread is. And it, it here's, I think another thing, like I've noticed like, If I come off the wagon and I start drinking a little bit, if I drink two nights in a row, it takes two nights in a row. It's a habit. And now I want another glass of wine or I want another whiskey or whatever because I had one last night. I had one the night before. and But that works the other way. We want to eat bread because we have a habit of eating bread. We want to eat rice because we have a habit of eating rice. We want bread because, hey, how easy is lunch when you throw some meat between two pieces of bread? Yep. If you start doing it with something else, even something you're not in love with at first, give it a week or two, it'll become a habit and you'll start looking forward to it. It's amazing what happens when you do that.
2: Yep. I totally agree. Totally agree.
1: So let's talk about your book a little bit. It's been out a long time. I love the title lies. My doctor told me, and we've talked about how doctors are kind of dupes in this. They're not in on the scam or whatever. Um, however, that's a pretty direct word, lies. And you have a reason you chose that word instead of yeah. like misconceptions or why my doctor's stupid. It's why my doctor's lying to me.
2: Yeah. So if your mechanic says, Oh, Jack, you need a new transmission. And in reality, you don't really need a new trans- tra- transmission, right? But the mechanic's going to make money by selling you this new transmission. Now is your, is your mechanic, are they hurting your car's performance by selling you a new transmission? No. It's going to run fine so they didn't really harm your car but they they profited from a situation that you didn't benefit from that make sense right
1: absolutely absolutely
2: so you go to a doctor and you're like hey dude i've i've been peeing a lot and he checks your blood sugar and it's 250 he's like oh shit you got type 2 diabetes if your doctor the thing that should happen is like oh you want to reverse this okay keto and intermittent fasting here's some youtube videos to watch then guess what? You don't go back to that doctor. You might go back in six months to just confirm that you did this right, but then you're not going to every three-month appointments, are you? But if you follow the doctor, he's like, here's the American Diabetes Association website. They got tons of recipes. Follow that. Here's a couple of prescriptions. I want to recheck your blood work in three months. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to the doctor four times a year for the rest of your life. You're t- you, and so there's the profit model for the doctor. And you have to go to the pharmacy once a month or every 90 days. There's a copay for the pharmacist. And you're frequenting the ADA website. You're trying all these recipes for for this pudding and that pie. And your blood sugar is just getting worse and worse. You're getting fatter and fatter. Do you understand that the doctor is financially benefiting from advice that does not help your health? The ADA is benefiting financially from advice that does not help your health. And the pharmacist is benefiting and the big pharmaceutical corporations and the big food corporations, because they're selling you the shit to make the ADA recipes. Everybody's benefiting and your health is suffering. And it all comes from the, the advice that you got from that doctor. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but doctors have a fiduciary duty to their patients. This is a legal term. And what it means is effectively your doctor becomes your legal parent. In this situation, and that's why doctors don't get to have sex with their patients. They don't get to to get in financial tangles with their patients. They have to give medical advice, and that has to be it. There has to be a barrier between these two people in that relationship, or the doctor is taking advantage of that relationship, right? So this fiduciary duty means that a doctor has a duty to, first and foremost, know what the hell he or she is talking about. That's their duty. That's their one job as a doctor is to know about the care and feeding of human beings. If they're not doing that, then they're failing in that fiduciary duty, aren't they? And so then when they give bad advice, it's more than just, Oh, it's a myth. Oh, he misunderstood. Oh, it's misleading. That's a, where I come from in the South, that's a damn line. That'll get your ass whooped. When people find out that you've just been giving this terrible advice and maybe you didn't know it was bad advice, but you also didn't go to the trouble to figure it out. That's a job. That's a doctor's damn job is to if, if you're giving advice, you better damn well know if, if if it's good advice or not. Just like a mechanic or if a hairdresser says, here, Jack, put this stuff on your hair. It's going to make your hair and your hair, your hair falls out. You're like, what the hell? I'm going to sue your ass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it never occurs to a patient after 20 years of bad advice from a doctor and they've lost a toe and now they're in a wheelchair and now they're on dialysis and now they're blind. It never occurs to them. Maybe I was just getting shitty advice for 20 years. Maybe I'm at least somewhat responsible
1: for this. Right. I mean, that's, you know, absolutely. Because your patient did what you told them to do. Right. Right.
2: I mean, that's right. And most doctors, they secretly think because none of their patients are getting better. Right. With this advice. They think, oh, they're just laying on the couch eating Cheetos and Ding Dongs. They're not following my advice. Wake up. If you're a healthcare provider, yeah, they are following your advice. They're having fruit juice smoothies every morning for breakfast. They've switched to whole grain bread. They wouldn't touch. And, and they may bread. stop taking your advice,
1: but it's because your advice didn't fucking work. Right. So they're, they're torturing themselves with your advice. Nothing gets better. So they go back to eating the bagel with a schmear. Right. Because right. why am I bothering to do this when it doesn't work? Yep. Um, I want to give a shout out to Hayes Anderson. This might be the best comment I've ever had on a nutritional podcast ever. He says, if you have a moral issue with eating animals, try eating fish. Fish are dicks. All they do is eat other fish constantly 24 seven. And um, shit
2: in water. Yep. That's all shit they do. Water. That's all they do. Well, they have that's no choice on that one, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But now if there happens to be a vegan watching. Yeah. In all seriousness, please start eating oysters and other shellfish. Okay. Even if you can't bring yourself to eat an egg because the chicken was raped or you're eating a chicken period or all the stuff I hear vegans say, <clears throat> I'm, I'm being very honest and very blunt start eating shellfish. They do not have a nervous system. This is known to science. They cannot experience pain. They do not care what happens to their babies, but they are a literal nutrient dense super food. Making that one change as a vegan, your brain will light up. Your skin will start to look better. You will start to look younger. You will start to be healthier with that one change alone. I don't have a problem with vegans. I think they're wrong. But I, but I think they're at least trying to do something which is more than we can say for a lot of people, right, Jack? But if you make that one change, start eating oysters, and then I love the just start eating the asshole fish. Those two things, (laughs) you will reclaim your health by doing that. Well, and like the
1: Paleolithic evidence on the shellfish is huge. I got really deep into ancient civilizations over the past year, deep research, and it turns out everywhere humans settled that we can find remnants, we find these huge mounds. And they thought these mounds originally were like, burial mounds and whatever well, they are burial mounds for the for the houses of shellfish there's massive i mean huge piles everywhere humans settled because before we screwed up the groundwater if you found a piece of if you found a, a freshwater mussel or whatever anything you found anywhere you could eat it and you weren't going to get sick yep. like we, we screwed the water up and since they filter feed you got to be careful where you get them from but yeah i agree with that um this has come up a bunch of times ken in this today uh, but Tyler's asking, what effects does keto have on high cholesterol? This fits the perfect with your lies. Doctors tell us, because if my cholesterol is over mm-hmm. this little number here, I'm going to die. And it's a bullshit, isn't it?
2: Well, and so first of all, the research shows that's actually been done in low carbon ketogenic diets that about one third of people, their cholesterol will go up on keto. About one third of the people, it stays the same. And in about one third of the people, it goes down. That's what the research is currently showing. So I'm one of those people, when I eat keto or carnivore, my total cholesterol, it's probably, I haven't checked in a few months, but last time I checked it, it was 250, no, 350. And my LDL was about 250. Now, a lot of people, including a lot of doctors, are still freaked out, like, holy shit, your total cholesterol is 350? Dude, you're gonna die. Well, here's the problem. All the research that doctors talk about that that make you fear total cholesterol being high, was funded by the companies that sell cholesterol-lowering pills. I shit you not. There is no independent research that has ever been done on the face of the planet Earth that shows that having an elevated cholesterol does anything harmful to you. The only thing we can prove it does is that you live longer and you don't have cancers often if you have high cholesterol. A couple of this independent studies showed that you have less heart disease. With a higher cholesterol, I shit you not. Now, LDL cholesterol, there might be a tiny bit of evidence that shows that it might be a risk factor. Might, might, right? But here's the thing. If you consider, okay, you got high blood sugar, you got a high A1C, you've got high triglycerides, you've got low HDL, that's a shotgun, okay? Having high LDL is a BB gun. Now I come into Jack's house and I get Jack down on the floor and I say, Jack, I got a shotgun and a BB gun. You're getting shot with one of them. You pick which one you're gonna pick. If I didn't a have BB a choice, if, if I had a choice, I get up and whoop your ass. But if I didn't have yeah. a choice, then I would take the BB gun because that's not a big deal. But I definitely would not want to be shot in the head with the shotgun because that's the end of me. That's what having type 2 diabetes is. That's the shotgun. Having high triglycerides, that's the shotgun. Having a high C-peptide, that's the shotgun. Having a high LDL of 250 like mine is currently, that may or may not be getting shot with a BB gun. I'll take that all day over being shot at point blank with the shotgun.
1: Well, and none of these studies going all the way back to like the seven country studies, everything that's ever been done in between to 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 try to prove this hypothesis, and let's be honest, it's a hypothesis, it's not even a proven theory at this point. Right. Um never isolated out. Well, what about people that have higher cholesterol but they have higher cholesterol because they live on predominantly a meat-based diet and they don't eat donuts? Like if you like anybody that actually understands the way they taught you the scientific method in like sixth freaking grade, right? If you don't control the variables, then the science is junk, and they have not controlled the variables. If right. if you were testing for a hypothesis mm-hmm. that high cholesterol equals heart disease, you would have to take out the other variables. Like nobody with type 2 diabetes should be in your study. Yep, right? You should only be looking at people that are otherwise healthy but have mm-hmm. elevated cholesterol. And I promise you, if you're getting your cholesterol from uh, whatever Crisco that the, the, the Krispy Kreme uses – you probably are going to have many health problems and they may or may not be because of your cholesterol. Also, what damage are you doing to yourself? Like in our arteries, if we have a, an amino acid called homocysteine at elevated levels, it damages our arteries. Cholesterol sees the damage and it tries to repair the damage. That's what it's supposed to do. It fixes shit. It builds your cells. Well, if you don't have that damaged artery, then you're not going to have the problems due to the cholesterol, right? And what is your biggest thing to knock your homocysteine levels down? B12. Where do we get
2: that? It's almost like this was all designed for what we were supposed to do in the first place, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost like there's a proper human diet, and when you eat it, bad shit doesn't happen way less often. But if you don't honor the principles of a proper human diet – you get fat, you get type 2 diabetes, you suffer, and you die prematurely. And sometimes if you've been eating that improper human diet for long enough, it makes you wish for death because your current life situation sucks so much that death would be preferable.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So let's make
1: sure we, we get people in touch with everything that they can get Canberry Berry related. If, if they've been under a rock for the last five years and don't know you have like, million YouTube subs or something like that. So like half the damn country seems to know about you already. But let's talk a little bit about your YouTube channel. You put out content on a really regular basis there, don't you?
2: Yeah, I try to put out at least three new videos every single week. And since I'm a family physician, I'm broadly trained. So I talk about lots of things from mental health, to gout, to psoriasis, to PCOS. I literally try to talk about everything that a family physician would have a patient come in and have that, that problem because that's how I was trained and that's how I make YouTube videos. And so if your teenager has acne, I got a YouTube video about that. If your, if your grandfather has dementia, I got a YouTube video about that. Literally there's not many medical conditions that are common that I don't have either one, two, three, four or five YouTube videos about hitting from different angles so that the regular person who's just works at the grocery store, drives a truck or just, you know, not you don't have to have a Ph.D. to understand my YouTube videos. I try to put it in just regular folks language so you can walk away from that video and go, okay, I understand the problem and I understand immediately what I can do to start reversing the problem. Today, that's the goal of every YouTube video I make. And then every Monday night at 7 p.m. Central, my wife, Nisha, and I do a complete hour of nothing but question and answers. And sometimes we'll have last night we had 3000 people watching and we literally just rapid fire for that hour. We answer as many questions as we can because people are hungry for knowledge. They're not hungry for bullshit. They've had enough of that. They want, okay, yeah. What do I need to do right now? And that's what I do on YouTube is try to help people answer that question.
1: Yeah, and you did a great job of it, man. Um, I, let's hit this one more, and then we can cut you loose. I know we've had you a little over an hour here. Um, Alice says, what about our brains on keto? Now, I've seen research done where and they're using MCT oil for this, but they're taking dementia patients, and they do a brain scan. And you see the dark part of the brain where nothing lights up and they feed them sugar because that's supposed to be brain food, and the dark spot in the brain just doesn't do anything. And they give them a couple of tablespoons of MCT oils, pure fat, yep. and it's probably one of the better fats we can get from plants. And yep. you see that area light up. That doesn't make them better, but you clearly it's it's the only thing that's causing that dead part of the brain to actually come back and, and, and do anything. And to me, again, I'm back to – I'd rather prevent a thing than try to fix a thing. And if something helps fix a thing, then it probably prevents the thing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Kids with autism, kids with ADHD, kids with OCD, uh, kids with, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, older folks with even the earliest signs of dementia. Keto is the way for every single one of those human beings because your brain can run very inefficiently and very dirty on, on sugar but your brain absolutely thrives on ketones and fatty acids. So the research is very clear on this. When you get past the, the big pharma industry uh, uh, funded studies and actually get to the independent research, it's very clear. Just like Jack said, your brain lights up when you eat a ketogenic diet. When you eat a proper human diet, your human brain actually prospers from that.
1: Can we hit one more before we go here? Um, Jake, because you know Jake. Jake hey, needs Jake. to eat all carnivores, What Jake needs to do. Uh, he says that he had a TIA, transient ischemic stroke, uh, no damage based on his MRI CAT scan. His doc is prescribing statins, some word I can't pronounce, some other word I can't pronounce. He says it's an insurance against the future stroke issues. Is this legit? Would you do it,
2: Ken? The lisinopril, which is a, an ACE inhibitor uh, medication to lower your blood pressure, Jake, might be an ins- a little bit of insurance if your blood sugar is still high because you're currently still eating too many carbohydrates. I haven't seen Jake lately, so I don't know what his diet looks like. But uh, the clopidogrel for a year or two after the TIA might be a little bit of an insurance policy, but but there's no research that shows you should take it longer than a year or two. And then the the statin, the statin is just foolishness. There's zero research that shows that that's in any way brain insurance whatsoever. You can throw the statin in the garbage right now.
1: Cool. Well, I'll make sure, Ken, that we have links to your YouTube channel. The docu-series, your website, all your social media stuff that I can find in the show notes today. And I really appreciate you being with us. And I want to tell you, like, when you think of doctors that save lives, we tend to think, think of surgeons. The neurosurgeon that operated on my wife 15 years ago, that man probably saves a dozen lives a week. But you've probably saved more because this is something that people can do. They can do it for themselves. They don't even need to go to a doctor's office. If they just freaking listen to you, or they listen to crazy duck farmers like me, and do this. They can literally not even step in a medical office. And 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 three months later, you don't need. I, mean, I think you should get your labs and all. that's good, but you don't need to know that you're feeling better. You don't need to know you have. Now you can you have sensitivity in your feet when you didn't. You know that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't need to know that you started taking your blood pressure. You're on medication. You should start throwing away blood pressure pills. You don't need to know from a from a laboratory or from some doctor who's maybe still following the the status quo that you're doing better. You feel it. And uh, man, thank you for all the work that you've done and, and just being tireless on it. Oh, we need to hit real quick. You're going to be here, right? In just what a month and a half, right? What are you going to be talking about at TSP Twenty One? I'm not sure yet. Uh, uh, That's why you're the only freaking person on my schedule that just says Ken Berry.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when I get there.
1: All right. I bet it's going to have something to do with the stuff we're talking about today, though. And uh if you're coming, you're going to get to, to meet Doc if you haven't already. And if you were here last year and you told Doc about all the good things you're going to do and you're coming back and you didn't do them, you're ready for an ass kick. And that's another thing I love about you, Ken. Um, just just you, you, know, you tell people like it is. But the other thing I've noticed about you is you seem to have something that I've tried to develop over the years. And I goes back to my military time. And I don't think you're in the military, but you have this anyway. Some people need it one way and some people need it another way. And a true leadership is being able to know how do I need to put it to this person? Because some people need to be told, look, you're so fat, you're going to die. And if you don't do something about it, you're going to die. And some people need more of a gentle. And I watched you do it with different people, different ways. And I appreciate that, too. But, man, thank you for being with us today on a live feed. and. For those that are listening to this, maybe you caught it later, this video will be on YouTube. As long as they don't take it down, they probably won't take this one down. And it will go out in the audio podcast feed about an hour from now.
2: Love it. Thanks so much, Jack. I'll see you soon.
1: I really enjoyed having Ken on today and I hope you guys did too. I, when, when Dorothy and I were, you know, watching his docuseries yesterday, I turned to Darth and I said, I think it's so cool that we have this guy like, as a personal friend, uh, because we were working for him, or working with him, I should say, I'm working for him, working with him long before he had, you know, a million plus YouTube subscribers. The, the, the re- relationship just goes back a really, really long time. And, uh, I can tell you, Ken, is the kind of guy that there's a reason that I continue to work with and promote him. I've met Ken in real life. I spoke to Ken multiple times over the phone and over the Internet prior to him exploding and becoming the personality he's become today. He was the same person back then that he is now. And when you meet him, if you happen to be coming here to the workshop and you get to meet Ken Berry in real life, it's like meeting me, only it's a different person, right? What I mean by that is... People sometimes are really surprised. They're like, "Well, I got to meet you, and you are the guy on the on the microphone every day." I try to be authentic. Ken is as well. And when, when I have someone that I let that deep into my community, they have to be that, or I won't do it. And I really think that on some level, and you, this comes out in his docu series. You, you 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 really understand this when you listen to some of the things he said. He's going to spend the rest of his life, in some way, at least in his mind, trying to atone for his sins of being a shitty doctor when he was a young doctor and he didn't know any better, like he was talking about today. And he's dedicated his life to that. It is not just a way to make money. He is the real deal, and I'm so grateful that he's on our expert council. And remember, if you have a question for Dr. Barry, you can email it in to me with TSPC expert in the subject line, and we'll, we'll get him on. The only reason your question that you've sent to me for Ken Barry hadn't been on the air yet on, a, on, a, on an expert council show is because he's that good that he sends me that many. That I always have a backlog to eight to ten at a time. And even if I've put them on every week, it takes me, you know, a month and a half, two months to build through his backlog. And by then he's got another eight or nine to me. So he's just that good about getting his stuff in. He really cares about what he's doing. Anyway, with that, let's wrap things up. Let me remind you guys if you like the show and the work that we do, you can help support us one way by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, Tspaz. Dot com. I got a new item of the day for you today. Remember, these are all items I own, I use, I buy them again, or I wouldn't recommend that you buy them. Uh, m- many of you own vacuum sealers. I know I do. I have a really good, very old, they don't even make it anymore, Cabela's commercial grade vacuum sealer. And even with a good vacuum sealer, vacuum sealer bags are the, are the weak spot. I've always bought the Cabela's bags because they've worked about the best, but they're like really expensive. And they still don't work as good as I think they should for how much they cost. I've tried a bunch of different brands. I found a company called Avid Armor, A-V-I-D-A-R-M-O-R. They also make vacuum sealers, and they make chamber vacuum sealers, chamber vac machines. Uh, I'm not going to get in chamber vac today. I am looking to buy one. When I do it, I'll explain all about the advantages over a regular vacuum sealer. Um, But all I'm going to say is I have not used their vacuum sealers. I have not used their chamber vacs or their chamber vac bags because I don't have a chamber vac sealer. The important reason for that is I do not want you to think I'm saying everything Avid Armor is great. It may be. I just don't know yet. I'm trying to always be clear. Their vacuum sealer bags, for the money, are the best ones I've used. They're tough, they're strong, and they work. And you can get, for instance, my two favorite sizes that I, I try to keep on hand all the time, court size, which are an 8 by 12 inch bag. You can get 300 of them for 42 bucks. That's like 14 cents a piece. That's cheap. You can get 100 gallon size bags. A gallon size bag is a big vac seal bag. They're a quarter a piece. They're 25 bucks for 100. And they have, you have rolls where you can cut your own and all that too. It's all up to you. I prefer the pre-cut bags for convenience. I vacuum seal a lot, but not that much. The savings isn't enough for me. Maybe it is for you. Uh, but I love them. They're just fantastic. But, uh, as I try to do in my write-ups on T-SPAS, I always try to give you things that even if you don't buy the item I have, they benefit you because you learn something. Well, there's two things I want to teach you about today. One is the number one reason that good vacuum seal bags fail. right? So bad ones fail. They get pinholes in them from one little thing or whatever. But the main reason that vacuum seal bags fail is you go and you take your steak or your chicken or your fish or whatever, you put it in the bag. I know you've been through this. You, you, you know, maybe you get a little bit of moisture on up where you're going to seal it, but you wipe it off. And then when you seal it, moisture comes out of the product, comes up through the little channels in the bag. And if you get moisture where the seal is, then the seal is going to fail. Even if it doesn't fail immediately, it's going to fail on you. and You're going to have freezer burn in your freezer. Okay. So one thing you can do to minimize this is use the pulse vacuum because you don't need to pull the vacuum equivalent to outer space to protect your food. But that's still, you can get that up. So this is the easiest thing I've come up with for vacuum sealing stuff and never having failures due to that, ever. And it actually makes the part you do go faster because you can be faster. If you have enough fish fillets from the lake to say you need six bags, get six bags out, throw your fish fillets in them. Do take a paper towel. And if you've gotten any on upwards, the seals, it's going to be wiped that out because that's going to be there no matter what you do if you don't do that. Take the bags. Do not seal them throw them in a freezer, set an alarm for like three hours from now. It's going to be okay. It's not going to get all freezer burned in three hours. It's going to be okay. Then, go ahead, when the alarm goes off, get your vacuum sealer out, set it up, pull your bags out of the freezer, and vacuum seal them with the food already frozen. You get a perfect freaking vacuum seal. It'll be better if you use good bags, but it'll give you the best chance of not having failures. And one more tip on bag reuse. I do not trust a vacuum seal bag that's been in the freezer, come out of the freezer, been vacuum sealed with long-term freezer storage. But I don't throw them away either. I I always seal my bags up by the top, so I'll use very little of the bag. I take a razor knife or a, a sharp knife and cut the top straight, just under the seal, open the bag up, take the frozen food out, rinse it out, set it upside down like a dish in the drainer and let it dry. Put it in a stack. Those are for CV. And if I'm going to sous vide something for two hours or so, I will use those bags. If I'm going to sous vide really long-term, like a overnight brisket or something, I double-bag that with new bags. Otherwise, and then that way, your, your, your quart bags are really seven cents a piece if you do a lot of sous vide cooking. Another thing you can do, by the way, when you're going to put food in the freezer that you're going to vacuum seal, if it's something you would take out and just sous vide, season it, throw some herbage in it or whatever, throw it in the freezer, let it freeze, then vacuum seal it, and then on sous vide cook day, you can let the sous vide defrost it. You take the bag right out of the freezer, right into the sous vide cooker. So, just add a few little extras for you there. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with, uh, well, remember, you can be a member of the member support brigade too. That's another way you can help support us. You'll get a bunch of discounts they'll pay for your memberships. Go to the com forward slash members to learn more about that. Anyway, uh, song of the day today. So, Again, we're pulling from one of my um, Pandora channels, and I'm giving a lot of clues this week. And if you know anything about the artist I'm basing this on this week, you should be able to guess it with the clues. The clue I'm going to give you today is his best-known song was in a 1980s movie. Okay, And the clue I gave you yesterday is every artist this week will be a more well-known artist than the artist the Pandora Channel is based on. And after I give you a clue tomorrow, if you can't guess it, you probably ain't gonna, I'm just saying. Anyway, so, lesser known artist than the artist being featured. Best known song is from an 80s movie, alright? And today's uh, artist and, and song is Bob Seger, Silver Bullet Band, with You'll Accompany Me. So, who do you think it is? Based on those clues and based on today's artist being Bob Seger and You'll Accompany Me, and yesterday's artist being CCR, Credence Clearwater Revival, for those of you who lived under a rock your whole life, with Who'll Stop the Rain. You'll Accompany Me, Who'll Stop the Rain. Who do you think it is? With that, has been Jack Spirko with another episode of the Survival Podcast.
0: Gypsy wind is blowing warm tonight. The sky is starlit and the time is right. And still you're telling me you have to go. Before you leave, there's something you should know. Yeah, something you should know, babe. I've seen you smiling in the summer sun. Seen your long hair flying when you run. I've made my mind up that it's meant to be. Someday, lady.